Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to another episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we're joined by Mahir Shah. Mahir is a principal of Create Dental in Kent, which he reinvented when he took the practice over in 2018, which is no mean feat in itself because buying a practice is a, is a big job, but to then reinvent it, is. it is, is quite remarkable. Um, Mahir qualified in Leeds back in 2013 uh, and has spent his clinical career in and around the Kent area. Um, you'll hear through this podcast, his infectious enthusiasm is, is just remarkable and his drive is going to take him on to great things. So welcome here. How are you? Hi, Andy. Hi, Chris. Uh, I'm really well. So I want to just firstly thank you both for allowing me to uh, to be on your podcast uh, this afternoon. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, no, not at all. We're nice delighted to, see you. Delighted really to nice have to you here. Yeah. I always find it amazing when you look at something like you qualified in 2013. And I'm thinking, God, I really remember 2013. <laughs> you know, look at you. That was when you qualified and we'd been in business for, oh, it's amazing. It's amazing that, that you're so young to have done what you've done and created what you've done. Oh, sorry. Get that all there for your practice. But I think it's fascinating. It's been a fascinating story, a fascinating listen, I think it's going to be. Yeah, well, uh, for, for myself, I, I never really had a clear path of what I was going to do. And I was kind of just driven by interest and opportunity. So give us give us your backstory. Were, were you always destined to be a dentist from a young age? How did, how did that whole thing start when you were a kid? Um, so not really, Andy. I mean, yeah, I, I came from kind of, you know, very normal kind of background or a dental background. There's no one really in my family that actually does dentistry. Uh, so it, it kind of stems from how how my interest kind of went into the profession, really. So I was fortunate enough when I was 15, 16 years old to, to have a family friend who was a dentist. Um, and effectively what happened was that I ended up observing him and shadowing him for a period of six months. Um, lovely, lovely guy. And he really kind of kind of gained my interest in the profession. I like the hands-on aspect of obviously dentistry, but you know, as we'll probably go on to talk, the the, the fact that you can also run a business on the side, you know. Um, I explored other avenues as well, to be totally frank with you, um, based on my personal set of circumstances, um, where I also, you know, fluttered with the idea of medicine, but I felt that it wasn't really the right path for me. It didn't offer the flexibility necessary that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to do always something where, you know, more clinical and more surgical um, whilst maintaining, you know, a certain level of autonomy on the, on the business side of things. Wow. And on that, when you did that shadowing in the six months of it, was that sort of like, were you, were you paid or did you just sort of like say, well, actually, I'm just going to come and watch and learn and sort of like soak it all in? I wasn't paid. I think, you know, he literally just took me under his wing. Wow. Um, it was, uh, you know, six months. Uh, sometimes on Sundays as well, he was running Sunday clinics and, you know, sometimes he would just got, uh, ask me to give me a hand on reception, you know, do some admin stuff, you know, uh, and um, I, I kind of just did that for that period of time. But I never really looked at it as a, as an opportunity. But to be honest, I think that makes you exceptional in your own right. Yeah, because so that's so amazing. Many people, yeah. you know, their, their start point is, and how much are going to be paid? Yeah, you know, what's my annual rate? 
But but isn't it the you know we've we've ended up in a, in a situation where you know that kind of you know give first and receive later mm. that's becoming quite an outdated concept. Or, or at sixteen, I'm going to go down the park. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm. You know, why would I want to go and watch and listen and observe dentistry? Oh man, you know, I want to go down the park with my friends or something like that. I mean, mm. so I think that at that early age to sort of want to go. Oh, I'll tell you, what, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a look at something. I think it's pretty amazing that you here. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, James. So, so, so on that point, then, um, we get quite a lot of, of younger people listening to this podcast, you know, possibly even kind of aspiring dentists. What, what would be your, your tips for them, for young people thinking about dentistry as a career? Because, you know, you're still a young guy. You probably still remember what that felt like as a teenager and, you know, and then having to get your grades to get to dental school. But for young people thinking of it as being a, a career opportunity for their future, what, what tips would you give them? So I'll be totally frank with you, Andy. My story is the typical underdog story. You know, that's the best way I can explain it. Every hardship that one person could experience, I've experienced, you know, whether it was my personal set of circumstances, my health when I was younger, which I'm sure we'll go into. Um, and, and, you know, the tips I could, I could always say is never give up, really. Um, if you've got a dream or an ambition, don't let anything or anyone really tell you anything else otherwise. Um, stay focused, be as hardworking as you can. And ultimately, uh, your vision can sometimes become, a, you know, your vision can be a reality. That'd be the best way I could say it. Um, and it's always good to, to talk to people around you. So um, what I found is, I was reading a book a couple of months ago, it's always good to have a good mixture of friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my, my friends and my colleagues, um, I've got people who are the same age as me. I've got people who are younger than me these generation X who, who can just do everything so quickly on an iPhone, who can run their life on an iPhone. And I have also people who are older than me who I respect, you know, and adore. And it's learning those mixed opinions and those values mm. that have helped shape and guide, guide my life a lot. And is that something that you feel is, is present in younger people? Is that, is that, is that something that is a maturity thing or, or have you always adopted this attitude of, you know, I can learn from, from, from people around me, beneath me in age and above me in age? Is, is that something you've always had as a philosophy or has it come as, as you've got a bit older? I think it's come as I've got, become older and a little bit more experienced yeah. um, with, with time, to be totally frank with you, um, where, where, you, where you learn. I found that I've always learned different things from different people. And and come what come what they may be, it's irrespective of their age, you know. Mm, so. mm. And, and that that tenacity you were saying, you know, the underdog and, and you had health issues as a kid. Is that has that been your driving force? Is that kind of really kind of created that that core within you that says, well, if I can get through that, surely I can get through anything. Because, like I say, what, what you've achieved so far for someone relatively young, I'm sure there's lots of, of you know, either, you know, FDs or, or young associates who look at you and think, you know, that, that's quite impressive for a young guy. You know, uh, how, how do I get there? You know, what's that, what's that tough beginning for you? Something that really kind of set that, that cast for what your future was going to look like? I think so. I think because I went through a lot when I was younger, to be totally frank with you, and you know, I saw things that probably not are not normal, you know, 16-year-old or a 15-year-old mm-hmm. teenager. Would have. It's not your conventional upbringing. And, you know, once I felt that if I can get over this in my life, you know, everything else, yes, it's difficult, but ultimately 
it's just a stepping stone to get over. And that's mm. kind of been my man- mindset. Are Nothing you, is the end of the world. Are you able to you share know? what they were, Mihar, or, or is it not something that you want to? Absolutely fine. And that's the reason for today, really, that ultimately, if my story can provide some value and inspiration to, to anyone, I would love to be able to provide that. So I was born with a life-threatening congenital heart condition. Um, and when wow. I was born, my, my parents were told that I would have 40 hours to live. Oh, wow. So, so <laughs> you've done, you done pretty well. So when I was younger, I was in and out of hospital a lot. Um, I, was, I was under the care of Great Ormond Street Hospital uh, for a period from the ages of two to I was 18. And over that period of time, I had two major open heart surgeries, one when I was two, and then one just before my A-levels. I oh, nice. Um, so so you, you, you were under Great Ormond Street between two and 18. You had major heart surgery, yet between 15 and 16, you also gave up six months of your time to go and volunteer at a dental practice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we I just did. kind of skirt over that, but... Well, yeah, I can see, I can see there's a, there's, there's a real thread building inside you about, you know, wanting to get things done. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think that comes, you know, also from my dad. He's, he's always said, follow your dreams and, and just, he's always encouraged me to go, go for whatever I wanted to do. So, you know, without their encouragement and support, you know, I would never be here today where I am. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to, to obviously have a, have a, a second opportunity of life, you know, particularly after the 18 months that everyone's experienced. And, and ultimately, you know, it, it's an opportunity to hopefully inspire others. You know, that's, that's what I want to do. When, when you must grow up, and, and I, it's hard, isn't it? But when you, when you grow up with, uh, oh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think how, how to put this, when you grow up with a, that congenital heart, issue that then I'm assuming, you know, is, was ongoing, might still be ongoing. So, so your, your potential outlook could be limited or you could turn into a limited outlook person. You've obviously chosen the non-limited outlook and that's, it's it's fascinating. Mm. I'm just trying to sort of encapsulate what it is because that must be something that you make a a conscious decision that says, I'm not going to dwell on the the what ifs. I'm going to deal with the going forwards and the stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, It's the way I see life to be totally frank with you, Chris, in the sense that I always felt these are the cards you've been dealt with. They're not the cards that, you know, I would have wanted. No one would have wanted that. (laughs) And ultimately, that is the situation that you're in and you could either as you mentioned let it you know dictate your life um and this comes down to i think a mindset thing and i've always tried to maintain a a positive mindset and a growth mindset as much as i could do yes you have your ups and your downs and you know like anyone in this world you have your your fears and your challenges but i've always tried to maintain you know a positive outlook you know as much as i can and that's that's what's helped me, you know, you know, face the battles that I've had ultimately. Mm. And, and I think that you, you're you're right. And that thing you say, it's not always like it. And I think there's kind of a misnomer that some people just seem to have this boundless confidence and, and positivity all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not yeah. the reality. I, I'm pretty positive. You know, I'm pretty positive most of the time. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have days yeah. when you think, God, it's bloody hard or it's a bit rubbish or whatever. Because that's 
being a human, that's the reality. It's not going to be every day. It's going to be like that. You know, some days you're not going to want to go to the gym mm. or eat well or whatever it might be. But that's just the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? Yeah. But I guess when you have the start that you had and, you know, you're grateful for the days that turn into weeks, that turn into months, that turn into years, that repeating behaviour and consistency is where that kind of infectious mindset of positivity just keeps getting fostered. Um, And that also brings people around you who want a bit of that as well. So it doesn't surprise me that the people you interact with and your team and your practice and your friends, probably that rubs off on them because it Mm. does become infectious. Yeah. Well, I I try to try and provide as much um, inspiration as I can to, to team members and try and provide as much support as I can, um, you know, so that, you know, everyone can, can reach their potential, you know, in, in whatever shape or form that they want to. Yeah. Yeah. It's making a real difference to how you approach, like, for instance, your dental business, because if you can deal with, <laughs> with what you've had to deal with from a health point of view, everything else must sort of like fall into, well, you know, this is my health issue, <laughs> which is a difference between being here and not being here. So everything else sort of falls into, <laughs> it's nowhere near as dangerous as it could be. Uh, is that is that right, Miha? Does that sort of... You've kind of hit the nail on the head there, you know, Chris, in the sense that it, it, it's true that, you know, when you've gone through that, ultimately, you know, Yes, life is going to throw you loads of speed bumps and loads of difficulties, and it certainly has done over the last eighteen months. <laughs> but but ultimately, you know, it pale. I wouldn't say it's insignificant, but it's when you've gone through that, it's it's not as nothing feels as difficult. You know, it's a mm. problem. Let's find a solution. Let's work to it. And and I, I love finding solutions to problems. Ultimately, mm. um, and and. And, and that's what we do on a day-to-day basis as dentists. Yeah, our yeah, yeah. Our solutions to the problems that our patients come and come and come. come that's and quite a nice them. way to think of it because yeah, you're right. Yeah, you 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 fix you fix problems, albeit in a, mm. in, in a in a mouth on teeth. But actually, that skill of of fixing problems has a great application in the world of business because mm. things crop up all the time. And I think about your own practice. You you bought your practice in 2018, uh, virtually immediately. In embarked on a remodeling program of that practice. So by the time that was in, the work was done, you got settled. It wasn't long before this thing called COVID turned up. So in terms of resilience and what was required, I guess some of those things that had happened in your earlier life, you were probably slightly better placed than than lots of people because in the early days of owning a business, it's, it's a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights anyway, isn't it? You're not entirely sure what you're doing. You're being asked to make a million decisions. You don't really mm. know how to make them. You don't really know what the right answer is, but you just have to keep making them. So how did that, how did that feel like when you, when you took over? And, and why, why would you buy a business and immediately embark on this, this radical makeshift of the practice? Was that, was that part of the plan or did you just feel you couldn't wait? I think... Um it, it, it was it was strategic to a certain extent based on you know the when I, when I bought the business you could see things it was only there was only one way it could go yeah. really to be totally frank with you so it was similar to you could tell in my life that it's either boom or bust really. <laughs> you, you go with it or or you know just you just sit on just sit on your ass and don't do anything really mm. but but effectively um, what what kind of inspired me was that I, I saw that the practice had great potential um, 
it had substantial levels of underinvestment for a long period of time. And the patient base of that clinic didn't know anything else, didn't know any better. They only knew one type of dentistry, which mm. was which was how it was for the best part of 25, 30 years. So I, I knew that through, you know, steady, slow and steady, you know, building, eventually we could we could get it to a stage where we can then really, I could really remodel it and, and put my own stamp on it. I'd say that process probably took three to six months initially before mm. we, you know, really say we ironed out all the, all the major problems. Um, but there, there were still issues then, you mm. know, and, mm. and what, what I found is that as, as the practice grows and develops, you're always going to have issues. You're always going to have problems, but, what what's changing is that the the class or the caliber of problem changes with time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's what I love about, about learning is that you know the problem solving becomes more complex, but it, it, it ultimately it becomes more enjoyable as well. Mm. So yeah, did you um did you make decisions quick enough? Um. Good question. Did I make decisions quick enough? I would say yes, I did. Yeah. I would say yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's always a, a strong sign of somebody who's truly entrepreneurial, someone that has the ability to make. Um, uh, Barack Obama did a talk in Mexico um, y- years ago, and somebody said to him, you know, being president of the U- United States, it's, it's ridiculous the number of decisions you've got to make, and how do you cope with the scale of the decisions you're making? And he said 51%. He said, if you've got information that leads you towards an answer and the information you've got gets you to 51%, make a decision. Because if you then make a decision, that puts you on a path. You can always change your mind yeah, and make another right. decision, but at least you've made a decision. And that thing about speed of decision, I think if you make it, you're making progress. It might not be perfect. It might not be exactly where you need to end up, but at least you're making the decision. So it's, it's great to hear that you know, it's on reflection, you know, you were making those decisions quickly because... I don't know, but I imagine when when COVID hit and you know you'd have had to shut your practice in in March to, to June as a minimum, you would have had to again go into a new environment where you had to make another whole whole heap of decisions quickly. Yeah. And and that's literally how it was. I think, you know, we could see it going that way based on what was happening with the Prime Minister's announcements. You know, I remember in early March the latter part of March. And then obviously, you know, once the, the chief dental officer's message came out where everything was just shut down, um, effectively, you know, the first thing I was thinking was obviously on my team, you know, everything that we built over this period of time. Um, but, you know, how are we going to ride this storm? And ultimately, <laughs> the business head just went on mm-hmm. thinking we've got to manage cash flow over here as, as quickly and as efficiently as we can. And so I sat down with my practice manager and, and, and my team very, very quickly. And we had a, a, a robust plan in place, which, you know, reduced the hemorrhaging at that stage as, as best as we could, um, like a lot of other businesses. Um, but yeah, like you said, decisions had to be made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you when you wanted to get this, this, this changed push through in the practice, um, did you... 
did you want to reinvent it? Did you want it to come out the other end of the process with your DNA all over it and your stamp? Or were you looking to evolve the thing you've bought? Because quite often, you know, we get lots of questions and people talk about the value of goodwill. The value of goodwill is very high. So one of the things when people buy dental practice is they want to protect protect that value. And in many ways, it's quite a bold move to then make the investment and do the work you did, which kind of moves it away from where it was. But did you feel comfortable with that with that sort of approach? I think the advice I'll give to anyone is that don't be afraid of making decisions and don't be afraid to put your stamp on stamp on things. I think mm. there is there is a tact in which you do it as well. Mm. And I, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think you you'll often get this question art, do you just go in all guns blazing? Yeah, don't uh, go like a bull in a china shop, yeah. Exactly. And then effectively you know, completely destroy what made that practice, you know, because I think that's one way you could possibly lose your team very quickly or mm. your distance that's there. Um, the way I did it, I had very clear ideas of where I wanted the practice to go and very clear ideas in terms of the investment it needed. So, you know, I, I literally brought my team and my, my team on that journey, you know, um, and no, this may be a shock or surprise to you, but since I've actually taken over the practice, we've not actually lost one member of staff from the pre-existing organization. Mm. We kept them all on, you know, and, and, and if there's one advice I could give to people, which, which is slightly different to maybe what's being told, you know, historically, but this is my, my analysis of it, is that no one generally, when I, when I looked at that practice, everyone had been working there for a long period of time, you know, at least five years. So the existing owner must have seen some good qualities in those yeah, members. Of dead right. Yeah. So they all can't be, they all can't be bad. You know, they must be good. And, what I've tried to do is just bring them up another notch by another 10, 15%. Mm. That's it. You know? That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. One of the things we say, we used to say, we, we haven't done them for a while, but on the courses, we used to say to people, you don't go in and sack everybody because remember when they were employed, they were the best people <laughs> at that time, which is exactly what you just said, you know, and it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that mold them to be what you want them to be rather than say, oh, well, they're crap and yeah. I'll just get rid of them. And also, I think a business, the biggest change a business can go through is a change of ownership. Yeah, that's massive. It's, it's destabilizing for you know, the, the patients, the people that work in the business. So if you then go a stage further and start changing the team as well, that's <laughs> going to further destabilize it. And ultimately, they're the people that do have the relationships with the patients. And, and I think they're, they're hoping it's going to work out. And if that's matched by your hope for them, I think that's where you get that kind of nice arrangement where they want to stick around and they want to be part of it. But credit to you because it's it's not unusual. Occasionally, somebody does fall by the wayside. Uh, you know, it does it doesn't quite work out. But however you've evolved it, it's it's mm. clearly something they want. They want to be part of. You you the you're the sole principal of the practice here. I am. Yeah, yeah. and I mean. So Chris and I, we've got five businesses between us and, and nine business partners, you know, in, in different businesses across the different things. And honestly, I couldn't do it on my own. Um, I'm not smart enough. I've got enough skills. I, I couldn't do it. So I'm in awe of people like you that, that take on that, that complete and utter responsibility of doing everything yourself. Did you ever think about having a business partner or could you see working with a partner? I'm not pitching to join your business. I'm just asking. <laughs> I can see the pros and cons of both situations. Yeah. Um, I think when I went into this venture initially, for myself, I wanted to learn 
everything I could about practice ownership and you know, I'm not the finished article yet um, on both sides, both as a clinician, but as a business owner. And then ultimately, you know, in hopefully as I get older, try and implement those skills onto, onto a grander level. Mm. Um, so you know, what I, what I found now is that, you know, with, particularly with create is that ultimately, you know, you're always time poor. And I realized that as a sole principle, um, you're always being pushed around in different directions. And, and now in order for the brand to expand and grow, um, you know, hopefully to other sites, which is what, what we're planning on doing is, is that the only way forward I can see is with partners, you know, genuinely. Um, uh, because I think, you know, although, although when you have a partnership model or you have business partners, you might have disagreements. Um, I think that if ultimately you can iron out those disagreements uh, and you can work, you know, in tandem together and you understand each other's strengths and weaknesses, you know, the journey can be a lot more fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm at a stage now where I also want to have fun, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. join the journey with other people to, to eventually, you know, hopefully grow the brand. That's, yeah. that's and I think disagreements are okay. I think if you're working towards a common purpose, but you just have different views and how that can be achieved, yeah, we will disagree. It was, it was, a joke to, it was, it was almost a joke to throw in there. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> we, but we will disagree on things and we'll disagree with our no, other business partners. No, uh, but if it's coming from a place where you're trying to achieve the very best thing possible and you're trying to make your point because mm. you believe it's going to be good for that, that business, that can be a healthy thing. I think where it goes wrong is where you kind of have disagreements for the sake of, of just and it becomes behavior. personal I yes. think that's the thing whenever we disagree about something it's never personal it's just about the fact of my I might have a different viewpoint yeah. than your viewpoint and then we work it out it's that's just, it that's it yeah yeah. but exciting that there's there's prospects for the future in terms of the create dental brand you know going, going to other places that, that's that's the inevitable plan now so I think uh, I've I've, I've learned a lot on this journey over the last three years and ultimately, you know, I like to think that, that you know, the, the brand has a, has a stable business head now to mm. it, where, which, can, which can then hopefully help other people or other young, you know, aspiring principals to, to potentially, you know, embark on something similar. Are you, are you very chilled and mellow? You know, I, I, this is the first time I've met you and the first time I've really spent you and I, I get this sort of like... Just sort of relaxed vibe. It doesn't mean. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's that sort of thing about the fact that, and whether it is because of of your your story, but you strike me as being sort of like quite mellow and and chilled about stuff. It doesn't mean you won't get upset and cross and angry, but you sort of strike me as this sort of like, yeah, it's all right. I can cope with that. That's fine. We'll just deal with that in a logical. We'll we'll get onto it. Is that is that right, or are you like a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you ask, if you ask my better half, she might disagree with me. Uh, In fairness, she did agree to marry you, though. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. That's- Congratulations <laughs> on that. Thanks. thanks. Um, I, no, I would just say I think I've, I've changed as I as I've got you know older with more experience. I think you know life throws you loads of challenges, as you mentioned, and ultimately it's it's how you deal with those challenges. You know, you can either throw your foot, throw your you know, throw your toys out the pram completely uh, and let every little situation get you quite worked up. Or as you mentioned, you know, take a step back and then, you know, find a reasonable solution uh, to, to the problem that's in front of you. And mm, yeah. that's the, that's the, that's the, 
the kind of methodology that I've, I've adopted now. Because really. that's what I sort of get from you is the fact of you're like, a, yeah, okay, well, let's just look at that rather than a like, ah, go nuts, everything, you know, yeah. react badly and then sort of, uh, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, measure twice, cut once or something. Yeah. You strike me as a measure twice, cut once person who says, well, let's just think about that. Let's step back. Let's have a look at it and then let's deal with it as opposed to I'm going to throw my hands in the air, go and shout at a few people, make myself feel better <laughs> and then try and deal with it. <laughs> That's the thing. You're, you're doing it to make yourself feel better, or you know that that's the thing, and that ultimately doesn't lead to a positive outcome. Mm, and no. you might feel better for that short period of time, but you know, in the long term, it's probably to your detriment. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, and and so being you know an entrepreneur, a business owner, I think we're kind of in a realm now where where those people are kind of becoming like the modern day rock stars. You know, there's a lot of attention on on business owners as being, you know, an incredible path to go down. You know, it's the it's the the, the, the riches, the fun, the joy. But the we ones all going to pay off our two trillion pound well, debt. Well, no, but but we we also know that it can be challenging as a business owner. And you said yourself about it being, you know, you become time poor. You're always being pulled in different directions. So. We talked about you know, the goodness of you know training the team and the team coming with you and that um, reinvention of the business and managing your way through COVID and, and future practices. But what are the downsides you've experienced of, of owning a business? Because quite often it doesn't get mm. talked about that much. Yeah, what are the sacrifices that go with it? So I think it's twenty four seven. It's a twenty four seven responsibility, and I think ultimately. There's a, there's a couple of things which I found very quickly that resonated when I when I took over Create, which was you're responsible for so many people. And I never had that responsibility ever. You know, any decision you make has this cascading effect, mm. not only on yourself, your team, but the patients and the population that you treat. Mm. And this can be tens of thousands of people. It could be a small decision. It could be a massive decision. And it's, I think it's important to take stock of that at, at some point to think that it's important not to make knee-jerk decisions, um, mm. emotional decisions, um, because you have to weigh up, you know, each and every scenario. Um, I think you're always going to have the pressure of, of running a business in the sense that, you know, it has to obviously hit a certain level of profit every single month. You Ultimately, you want the business to succeed. Uh, you're always pushing for new ways and how to grow the business. Um so I've always found that I'm sending emails at sometimes obscene hours in the morning. At <laughs> Whenever a light bulb moment happens, you have to quickly get on your phone and send an email. So that's got better with time. But for the first kind of year to 18 months, I would say, you know, that was that was my life. You know, mm-hmm. it was six, six, seven days a week, you know, 75, 80 hour weeks, you know, to try and try and stabilize this ship and try and get it moving and in a positive direction. It, I think it's a big responsibility. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I remember when, sorry, I was going to say, I remember when we bought Frank Taylor's. Do you remember in the oh. early days, we suddenly realised that we were responsible for paying people's salaries <laughs> and and those people have mortgages <laughs> and those people have lifestyles. And, and until that point, we'd worked for a bank where we got salary. It was great. did really matter. And then we bought this. And I, I can remember we had oh. this conversation of going, flip, if we make a bad decision, it costs people potentially their houses. <laughs> and that's quite a bit of stress that, you know, you park, but but the realisation yeah. is, is is a real sort of journey, isn't it? As you were saying, Mio, that journey of the fact of all these people <laughs> trickle down out of possibly a good or a bad decision that you've made. But I think for would-be practice owners, what you say is right. You know, in those early days, it is a 
14, 16, 18 hour day job. And anyone that kind of isn't up for that, they have to really think about whether it's for them. It doesn't last forever, but in those early days, you know, actually the clinical dental bit is pretty straightforward mm-hmm. because you've spent minimum five years at dental school, you've probably done a pile of postgraduate stuff. That's that's you know, you're you're equipped for that. But you're not necessarily equipped for managing people, um, how to prepare financial forecasts, you know, what's your marketing strategy, where are you gonna deploy your advertising budget? All, all these things. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I, I don't know the answer to any of those. I've got to do some reading and try and understand what it is that I need to do to, to make good decisions. Mm. And if, if I may say that, Andy, I, I think at this stage, I think we get taught how to do the clinical. And I think you've had this, you know, we can bang the same drum yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, how to do clinical. And, you know, you could say, you know, the level of clinical courses out there now in our profession is unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it's almost the same size industry as dentistry itself, as in the clinical side of dentistry. But what's not that well taught is the business side of the industry. It's, it's still very underrated. Um, so if there was one kind of thing I would suggest, you know, which probably would save me a lot of money actually in the initial <laughs> stages is to, is to acquire some business skills or mm. business courses. I know, you know, <laughs> again, I might name drop Frank Taylor here. I know Frank Taylor run a series of workshops and business workshops. They are really useful, you know, mm. and, term can actually save you some money and i think um, part of the problem with it is that if you go on a, a clinical course you spend mm. 500 pounds on the friday yeah, yeah. you 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 learn a new skill on a monday you could charge a patient 700 pounds based on the new skill you learn the roi on that is good you can easily do that but if you come on a business course or you go on a business course and you learn um, uh, you know how to read a profit and loss statement or how to improve your profitability or how to or design how to not upset strategy. someone in HR yeah. so or, as you get a tribunal yeah exactly how to manage or motivate your team trying to get an ROI on that is quite hard and you've just got to accept that these are skills long term skills you need to run a successful mm. business but I think sometimes it is hard to see the immediate ROI on that so mm. it's quite nice to hear you who's someone who's been through the process of not having those skills coming through and, and, and having to learn them on the job to say actually if I could have learned that stuff a bit earlier it, it, it might have been an easier an easier pathway what's the hardest thing you've had to deal with me here you know in your practice ownerships cycle what was the biggest thing that was like oh flip I hadn't really realised this was going to take up so much of my time or be quite as painful as I thought it was um, I think to get your staff on board takes time I mm. genuinely think I think you need to get people to buy into you and ultimately the culture that you're trying to create uh, excuse the pun. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, what I found is that, that that takes time and it requires reaffirmation at several points. It's yeah. not something that you can just say once uh, and then you expect people to understand that mm. and understand reasons to why you do that. And then, you know, sometimes it can come across, you know, if you get it wrong, it can come across crass, it becomes about money, but it's not about that. Mm. You know, it's important to understand people, the reason why you do things is to create a better, better service a better experience. And, you know, I've always based it, um, whenever I talk to my team, it's never based on finance or figures or, oh, we need to make this amount of money per month or per week. It's never based on that. It's Mm. always based on the reason why we do certain things is to 
elevate the standard of service to create a better patient experience. Mm. Mm. But and I think that regular ongoing affirmation spot on, I think so many people kind of read out their vision statement or, or what they want to be and say, right, has everybody got it? Good. Yeah. Right, yes, can we so, do it yeah. now? And they don't constantly remind people what it is, but also celebrate it when they see it and comment when they don't see mm. it. So if mm. you have a, a vision of what you want your practice to be, if you keep seeing that being displayed, I'm sure you do so to your team, that, that's what we're about. That is exactly what Create looks like and feels like from a patient's point of view. And equally, if you if you see it not being deployed as you'd like, you say, is that the Create way? Is that the way we could and should be doing it? Because I think that constantly reminding and reinforcing it builds a tribe of people that get it. And then when you're not around, that, that whole energy is still present. Mm. Exactly. And, and ultimately, for me, that's, that's the inevitable success long-term is that you know, the values and core systems and the effectively the culture that, that's been built is maintained when I'm whether whether I'm there or not there. Mm. Um, so you know, Richard Branson's not on every single Virgin flight, but he's created no. a culture of the Virgin. Yes. You know, you know, and it's the same principle that you can apply to so many businesses. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have obviously a figurehead, they they implement a series of core values and systems. So similar to your organization, Van and Chris, where you know, if you're not there on the day-to-day -day basis, you know you, it's in good hands, ultimately. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just a different tack now. Um, obviously, at the moment, the, the the landscape in terms of work opportunities in dentistry is, is changing at the moment. I don't know how you're finding it in terms of um, finding and keeping good people, but there, there, there does appear to be a, a general um, employment issue across the profession. H has that affected you? And, and how do you see that kind of panning out as, as we go forward? I would, it has affected us, to be totally frank. I think, yeah. you know, particularly on the nursing side of things, mm. I think on the, you know, there's been numerous articles and journals written about it recently mm. where there is a, a national shortage of, of, of nurses. Um, and, and, you know, I think there's been several reasons for that. You know, Brexit made a massive difference on that, on that front, ultimately. Um, Generally speaking, where I'm located, you know, there isn't a shortfall of dentists, but I know that there is a national problem there, uh, particularly maybe because of the type of dentistry that we're doing. We are seeing a paradigm shift, particularly with the younger generation of dentists moving more and more towards private dentistry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's happening. Um, you know, and in some ways we're quite well positioned, you know, because the practice that I have is a mainly private practice. Mm -hmm. Um, is it Dartford so, you're at? Is it, are you, are you Dartford, yeah? Yeah, in Dartford. So I think it seems to be heading that way, um, you know, on, on the recruitment front, you know, and we're seeing more and more dentists who are elevating their clinical skills, mm. doing loads and loads of private courses uh, to inevitably be able to feel confident to provide those kind of treatments. But also then, Mihir, you've built an environment that they can feel that they can benefit and grow in your environment. You know, that's something, isn't it? If you didn't have had you built it, they wouldn't want to then come for you. So I think that's, that's great because that's your culture thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. building a, yeah. a culture that says this is the type of mm -hmm. dentistry we want to do. So bring it on, boys. Come on, uh, come and sign up for me yeah. so as you can do your dentistry. I think we've always I've tried to always provide an environment where, you know, people can thrive if, if they need things, if they need certain pieces of equipment. You know, we never I've never stopped, you know, or, or try to stunt that. You know, if you need something, you need it. You know, because there's a there's a justification for it. So mm -hmm. that's fine. 
you know, from my point. Yeah, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm I'm really delighted how it's going for you. You 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 deserve it. I think people with your outlook and um, enthusiasm for for the profession mm. and your practice, you know, it's it's guys like you that it's great to talk to because it is inspiring. And yeah. people that are having tough days will listen to this and go, actually, I can do it. Or yeah. if there's younger people who are arming and eye about, you know, is it the right profession for them or what direction they should go in? They, you know, they can see your pathway that hasn't been straightforward and easy but to have got to where you are and it feels like this is just the beginning in terms of where where, where you want to end yeah, up yeah definitely definitely fascinating fascinating we, 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 we always just finish up we always um, ask our guests a couple of questions as, as we get towards the end just to get a little, little closer inside their mind so if you could be a fly on the wall in, in a situation um, any situation you want what, what sort of scenario would you like to be sitting there watching I would love to be in a scenario where you see these world superpowers who own these companies and just be a fly on the wall to think what is going on on a day-to-day basis in terms of how they're managing their diaries and what they're planning next. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, whether it's the Elon Musk of this world or, you know, the Jeff Bezos or even the Mark Zuckerberg, just to, just to be in, in that environment for a, for a day, just to think yeah. how these guys think, you know, and, and ultimately they're the ones who are making global decisions now. Personally, that's, that's how I feel. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think the influence, you know, there's a lot of talk about influencers, but but those guys have massive influence. Yeah, definitely, um, you know, definitely. The decisions they make change, um, you know, hundreds of different companies will change their, their decision and strategy based on a few words that they might say. Yeah, no, that would be, be really interesting. And if you could meet somebody, um, you know, whether they're still with us or not, fictional, real person, who would you like to sit down and, and have dinner with? So I'm a I'm a big Manchester United fan. So you can ah, probably see your- well done, oh, well dear, done. Oh, right dear. answer. That's two of them on the <laughs> two of them on the, on the podcast. <laughs> Think about the result on Sunday, but you know, we we'll skip past that. Um, exactly. Keep moving. We can we can edit that. Me, we can edit that. Me, it, was a, it's fine. it was a great result if we'd have had it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe not a Saints fan, Chris. Sorry, sorry. I hope you're not a Southampton fan. That's for no, sure. no, no, I'm an Arsenal fan. That's it's, it's worse than Southampton. Southampton. I would love to uh, to have a sit down with Alex Ferguson. To be yeah. Honest. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, where do you start with with, with Ferguson? Um, you know, 26 years, unbelievable career with Manchester United. And I think he just had this knack of elevating the club. You know, I can see Chris wincing over here. Yeah. <laughs> elevating the club year on, year out. Awesome Wenger. <laughs> yes, he, he was great as well. You know, just by, by little things. And now football is so complicated as a, mm. as a sport. Yeah. As a, yeah. yeah. I think the thing with Alex Ferguson for me was, you know, footballers are, are young, testosterone-filled, um, everything at their, their feet, including the football. They're not easy people to manage. So to pull together a bunch story? of young people like that. What's that gig story about his car? Oh yeah, so you put you probably knows me here, but when Giggs Giggs was obviously playing for the juniors and, and when he got his first contract, he went out and bought himself a brand new Aston Martin and sort of swept into the car park and Fergie came out and said to me, he said, You take the car back. 
He said, you don't show off like that. He said, I'll tell you when you can get that car. <laughs> and that, that's, but, and in, as Giggs told that story in later life, it was like, actually, that, that was kind of was the, turning the, point the, the right thing to do because it was the football that was important, not all the other bits that sit around it. And he had that ability to kind of treat everybody individually. Couldn't he? He could find the right thing for each person. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think he'd be a great person to sit down with for a few hours. See, even I'd like to sit down and have a dinner with Sarah. So I think that would be quite fascinating. Probably with Arsene Wenger, because that would be even more interesting. <laughs> Although I think that they were really good friends. I think they shared common interest in wine, didn't they? Yeah, that, that, by all accounts, they actually were quite friendly. Yeah, and they because I think that that great thing was they. I think we sort of mentioned it earlier, and in a way with partnerships, is they had great respect for each other. They might not agree with each other, and it might be a bit adversarial, but that respect thing, I think, goes a long, long way, doesn't it? To say, actually, I can respect that you're different, yeah, but that doesn't mean I'm going to fall out with you. It just means that I respect that you're different. Yeah, I think that's that's the way to look at stuff, really. Absolutely. Well, here I've, I've I've really enjoyed your t- the, the chat. I think it's been fascinating it's been to hear really your brilliant. your Thank story. You. I, I genuinely wish you the very best, and I'm going to keep a close eye on what comes down the line for you. Hello, thanks, Andy, Chris. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to to be on this afternoon, and uh, I hope that uh, the listeners have some some get some real value out of it. Um, they, so will sure. they will for sure. They will for sure. Having me. Thank you very much. No, not at all. Lovely. Yeah, anyway, brilliant. look after yourself, me here. Really thanks, appreciate your time Thank today. You. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Dada. What an enjoyable chat with me here. Oh, it was great. Well, nice play. Lovely chat. Nice play. Absolutely lovely nice chat. Uh, Unique hear, story. Oh, and inspiring, isn't it? It's, it's not that kind of, you know, always destined to be a dentist. And at 15, 16 years old, to give six months of his time mm. without the expectation of anything other than learning, yeah, knowledge. knowledge. No, and, and that put him on the path to become a dentist and now a relatively young principal. I think it's a great one, isn't it, about uh, we are all a product of our experience. You know, yes. His experience of his health has, uh, and as he said, it, it has made his view on everything else yeah. sort of, as, as he said, it doesn't pale into insignificance, but yeah. it's, you know, I'm here or I'm dead. Mm. And I might be, might not survive, but to then effectively channel that into the fact yeah. of what else, mm. what can anything else be that's mm. worse than this? I and, think it's a real the, massive positive. And the honesty of business isn't easy. You yeah. know, you put in long hours, you know, you send in those, we've been there, the two o'clock in the morning emails, yeah. you know, yes, it's fun and it's enjoyable, but I think sometimes it's seen as kind of being a bit more glossy than it is. So to hear that, that flip side. It's almost uh, a bit Instagram. Yeah. Hey, look, uh, fantastic. Yeah. It's all work. It's great. No, guess what? What's that, what's that thing they say that, you know, people who get instantly successful have spent 10 years becoming oh, instantly yeah, exactly. successful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. It took me 20 years to become an own art success. It's that sort of thing. No, it was a really bad one. I think particularly um, here's episode about uh, for, for younger dentists, and even even people who are at the stage where they're possibly even thinking about dentistry, it's a really powerful story that says if you apply yourself, what can be achieved. Yeah. No, it was very good, very yeah. good. Great, great guy to talk to. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.